So, my name is Brayden. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, Merrick's actually out, so y'all would be in your Broken Cisterns uh, series, but Merrick talked to me about a month ago, and he said, hey, look, I'm going to be gone on April the 3rd, and he said, would you mind filling in for me? I'm like, of course, I'd love to, and it's like, where are you going to be? Because I'm nosy. And he said, we're actually taking a baby moon. So, if you didn't know, Merrick's expecting a child, and Merrick is, yes, and his wife, but mainly Merrick. It's going to be a surprise to Emily, but Merrick's expecting it. And I think she's due in May sometime. I'm not really versed on the matter. But they're like, all right, we're going to get away one more time before we can't get away again because now they're outnumbered and it's 3v2. So they've got to run zone instead of man-to-man. So they're in Oklahoma City. And if you could all just pray for Merrick, I think he's had a bad week because he went to Oklahoma City and he's like, hey, let's go see if we can see a Thunder game. And if you didn't know about Merrick, he loves LeBron James. And he happened to see that the Lakers were playing the Thunder. So he's like, I'm going to get to see my boy. He was excited. And then this weekend, it got announced that LeBron James was sitting out the rest of the season. And he wasn't going to play. So Merrick, I'm sure, was real hurt whenever he got to the Oklahoma City game. And, you know, LeBron was there, but not on the court. He's in the same room as him. It's good enough, right? Oh, it was a good game, apparently. But... He told me I could preach on whatever I wanted to. And I was like, all right, hell and tithing it is. Let's freaking go. It uh, it applies to a college student. And I'm completely kidding. It's a fun joke. It's a good preaching joke. But I thought I've gotten to share with you guys a few times. And I've always gotten told essentially, hey, I'll just take the passage here and dive in what you want. But I like kind of sharing my story with people. Uh, I enjoy just I've gotten to know you from a stage point of view. Um, I've grown this year just knowing more of you throughout ski trips, small groups, just all these sort of things. But I kind of want to give you a look into kind of my personal life, uh, what my walk with Christ looked like, what my testimony is. And I have a passage in Acts that I think kind of puts those words into scripture. Um, So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read through this passage real quick, and you will be very concerned at what you thought my life was before Christ, but it's fine. So we're starting in verse 1 in chapter 5, and it says this. It says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it to the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. A great fear came upon all who heard it, and the young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and she breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. If you think, Braden, your testimony has got to be very weird to apply to this story, 
It is, so I'll let you know. But before we dive into it, I'm going to pray for us. So bow your heads one more time. I just want you to take a moment and just pray for yourself right now. Pray that everything outside this room just fades away from your mind. Whether it's schoolwork, whether it's friendships, relationships, anything that can distract you in this moment, just ask the Lord to just remove it. And ask Him to show you what He has for you tonight. Now I just ask that you do the same for me. That any distractions that I may have with my work, my friendships, my relationships, that all of those distractions fade from my mind. And my sole purpose right now is to bring what the Lord has for you. Father, we love you and we praise you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak to this group of students, Father. I thank you for their heart and their willingness to be here. And I pray that you do a mighty work tonight. I thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I thank you for the story that you have given me. Father, you are welcomed with us here tonight. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Alright, so this story that we just read is kind of interesting. But I think in this story, we can see three things that plagued my life before I gave my life to Christ. And if I'm honest, I think these three things plague a lot of people in church today. I really think that people who come weekly to a college service, to a Sunday service, I think a lot of people whether they're willing to admit or not, are in the same boat that I was in. And I think that this story shows us three main things of what that person's heart looks like. Before we dive into this, we have to get a little bit of backstory. All right, so Ananias and Sapphira are husband and wife, and they sold their land, but they didn't give everything, didn't give all the proceeds, they kept some back for themselves, and they gave it to the apostles, but saying, hey, we gave you all of our money. In context, in the, session, in the section before this, it talked about another man who did this. His name was Joseph, all right? And in the book of Acts, the book of Acts starts with Jesus ascending, the Holy Spirit coming down, and Peter preaching at Pentecost. And Pentecost was this best worship service ever, and thousands got saved, all right? But what Pentecost was, is it wasn't like it was a planned ordeal, Holy Spirit came down, and essentially it was a ginormous sermon on the side of a road. Alright, so let's say you are going to Monroe, and it's back in the gap, like in Bible days, so you're walking there. And you're like, I've got to go to, I'm trying to think, I was going to say Hobby Lobby, but we have a Hobby Lobby now. I don't know what Monroe has that we don't. Target, amen. <laughs> if the Lord provides us a Target in Reston, that'll be, this will be the glory land. But... You're going to Target. You've got to go to Target, but you've got to walk. So you're planning, all right, this is going to take five days. Two days there, a day at Target, because you know it's great, and two days back. All right, so five days. So you pack up your satchel and your donkey, and you're like, all right, I'm going to Target. But here's the thing. You get to Calhoun, and there's this ruckus on the side of the road. 
All right, and you're like, well, what's this ruckus? So let me go walk over. And I'm in Calhoun, and this ruckus has begun. And the Lord speaks to you, and you give your life to Christ. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Calhoun, I was saved here. But you're so fired up about it that you have to be around these people. It's a message that you've never heard before. And you forget that you're going to Target. You forget what Rustin had. But you know, I have to be with these fellow believers in Calhoun. And you're there for weeks. Months. And eventually, your five-day trip, you don't have enough stuff anymore. It's not like you have a debit card. You ran out of money. So what the church did at this time is anyone who had excess, people from the area, they sold their land so that people among them that were visitors, that were traveling, that were poor, they would not be in need. So Joseph, in this passage before, he did this. And it was so well received that they changed his name, gave him a nickname, and they called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. And Barnabas is mentioned throughout the rest of the New Testament. He goes on missionary journeys with Paul. He actually calls out Paul at some point. Man, the dude's a beast. And I think Ananias and Sapphira saw this man and saw the impact that he made. Man, and they wanted a part of it. But I think the problem here, first and foremost in this passage, we see that sometimes our motives are wrong. Verses 1 and 2 says this. It says... But a man named Ananias with his wife sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, he wanted the praise that got bestowed upon Ananias, that got bestowed upon Barnabas. He wanted people to look at him and say, man, that is a man after God's own heart. He wanted a nickname. He wanted to be remembered. But he didn't want to do every bit of work that was required of him to get to that point. He wanted to stay comfortable. I was blessed to be born in a Christian home. And I feel like 90% of testimonies in the South start with that. But I really was. I had two great parents. It was a blessing. In today's age, I had two great parents that never got divorced. They loved each other. I have two older brothers. We got along, kind of. I was scared of my oldest brother. He was like six foot in the sixth grade. So I was like a three-year-old. I was like, this dude's massive. I'm done. The middle brother was always kind of the run of the litter. So we would fight. But the biggest brother, I was like, nah, we're good. You win. But we were at church every week. Sunday morning, Sunday night. My dad was a deacon. I remember his ordination service. My mom helped out around the church. We were here in and out. And I remember whenever I was about six years old, my brother, the middle one, Gave his life to Christ. And I remember the joy that it brought to my family. He got baptized. Everybody was excited. And I remember thinking, that's awesome. I would love to bring that much joy to my family. I'd love for them to be proud of me like they were proud of him. So I think a few weeks went by and a few months. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to give my life to Christ. I'm going to do it. About seven, I think. And I remember it was in my Mickey Mouse bathroom. I looked at myself in the mirror. And I was like, all right, I'm doing it. Give my life to Christ. Let's go. And I walked downstairs and I told my mom. And I said, Mom, I just gave my life to Christ. And she gave me the biggest bear hug you could ever imagine. Us Hiltons are, well, we're good at hugging. All right. 
or a lot to hug, we're good at hugging. And she looked at me and she said, Braden, you have made the best decision that you're ever going to make. And I got baptized. I talked to my children's pastor about it that night. Not that night, Sunday. And from that point on, I qualified myself as a Christian. And I was a dang good one. I stayed in church. I grew to leadership roles. I did kids' choir even though I couldn't sing, but it was what the good kids did. Went to youth group. And I continued to do the right things, say the right things. Get put in leadership roles. We actually started like a student internship program, kind of just for me. It was weird. But he said, the student pastor at the time was like, yeah, I'd love for you to like work alongside me. And all this time, I was just growing and knowing the right answers to say. High school actually came and I was known. I remember I went to this party once and this, there was this new guy here and there was another guy in our class kind of introduced everybody. And he said, this is Braden. If you're serious about the God thing, Braden is your guy. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I've made a name for myself. I am the one serious about the God thing. That's awesome. I was proud of myself in that moment. But see, what I really think, looking back on that time, everything that I did in my life up to that point, man, it was for my own glory. I did it because I wanted the praise. I wanted to make people happy. I knew it was expected of me. But I think the further along it goes, the more I realized that I was simply in it for that praise. I was simply in it because I knew that I should be. James also talks about this, and he says in chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, When you ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives. You spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that your friendship with the world means enemy against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. See, this is what I do. I would want things, and I'd want the Lord to use me, but I didn't want it for His glory. I didn't want it for His sake. I want it for my own. I would ask for things simply so my own pleasures would be fulfilled. And what James is saying here, he's saying, you are adulterous if this is your mindset. You're not real. You're not loyal. You're not committed. You're here for the praises, but not for anything that costs too much of you. This was Ananias. Ananias wanted all of the praise. He wanted a nickname. He wanted to be accepted. But yet, he did not want everything taken from him. He didn't want to put it all out there. So he contrived a plan with his wife. He said, we're going to sell this land, but we're going to keep a little bit back as a safety net. They're not going to know, and we're going to be good. See, I feel like a lot of times we do this. We go throughout the motions, and whenever we really look and ask ourselves, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I leading this Bible study? Why am I in leadership at first college? Why am I at Awaken? And we really look, are we looking because we know it's something expected of us? We want the glory that it will bring us. We want the name that, hey, that person is the church guy in this group, in that group. Are we doing it because we want to glorify God? It's not a want, but a need. It's not 
a kind of, but a must. I must do these things. Because whenever our motives are wrong, see, all we're doing is giving a lot, but we're not giving all. I think this passage shows us another thing. I think it shows us that a lot of times we stop caring if we sin. And I think if you're like me, you probably read that and you probably think, well, probably not. I would kind of care if I sin. I'm not a murderer, yada, yada, yada. But let's look at verses 2 through 6. It says this, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it, re- not, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, took him out, and buried him. Ananias did not murder. Ananias did not commit adultery. Ananias lied. He told a lie, and he dropped dead on the spot. Bang. Told a lie, got caught out, boom, dropped dead. Wow. And I look at this passage, I remember the first time I ever read this passage, I thought, man, this is kind of harsh. All these great things are happening in the church. He sold his land. He wanted to give to the poor. He just said that it was all of it, and it wasn't. He lied, dropped dead. Who is this God? Where's the love that Jesus promised? See, I think a lot of times we forget that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New. He never changed. We look at the God of the Old Testament, people who mocked his names got wiped off the face of the planet. But we think, man, the New Covenant, we're in this. God hates sin just as much now as he did then. But what we have done is we have started making for ourselves a category of sins. There's big sins and there's small sins. Yeah, I'm not going to murder. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to snort cocaine. You know, I know those are wrong things. But I'll cheat on a test. I've got to graduate. If the Lord wants me to serve him as the next doctor of heart surgeon, the next uh, Chang from Grey's Anatomy. I don't remember her name right now. I'm blanking. I've got to pass this class. And I haven't studied, so in order to pass this class, I've got to cheat on this test. It's a must. I'm sorry, God. We'll pray about it later. But how do we know that cheating on this test right now doesn't mean cheating on your wife in the future? Cheating on your finances in the future? Cheating your company out of money in the future? Man, it's cold outside. It's rainy. It's wet. I'm not going to class today. I've decided I don't need to be there. The the professor, man, he's just so boring. I'm staying home. But how do we know that skipping class today 
doesn't equate to bailing on commitments tomorrow. Over 10, 20 years, you're known as the flaker. You're known as the person that will say, yeah, I'll be there. And then you never show up. You're not reliable. You're not trustworthy. How many of y'all remember the Beijing Olympics? I think I was like in the 8th or ninth grade. Beijing. If you don't know the Beijing Olympics, so a couple things. It's kind of whenever Michael Phelps jumped to the scene. He won his seven golds. It was uh, London that he really balled out, but like he was there. He did a good job. He won more gold medals than I have. Usain Bolt uh, became the fastest man on the planet here. He bought out. Uh, me and Wesley were talking about this was like whenever the USA basketball team essentially Harlem Globetrottered the rest of the world and like only scored by alley-oops. It was wild. It was fun. It was whenever like people were actually good. Dwight Howard was relevant. Melo was relevant. And they were all on the same team and they were good. And if you were like me and then a uh, 8th or ninth grade boy, you met your future wife on screen at this Olympics with Nastia Lukin and Sean Johnson. I remember at school, I was just like, man, y'all can have, everybody wanted Sean Johnson. I was a Nastia Lukin fan. I was like, man, she won the gold. First off, you're getting second place. I want Nastia Lukin, man. She's pretty. She's foreign. That's kind of cool. Has a cool accent. Let's go. And I was like, and as a 14-year-old, I was like, sure, she's 18, but what's four years? 34, 30, that's not that big of a deal. 18, 14, not that big of a deal. Who cares? I'm happily married now to not Nastia Lukin, and she's better than Nastia Lukin. She can't do gymnastics, but it's fine. That doesn't really matter to me, honestly. Beijing spent $4 billion on their facilities for the Olympics. Everything that they had, the stadiums, the water courses, the BMX courses, everything, $4 billion. You can go home today and look up Beijing Olympic locations right now, and CNN did a story on it. It's a wasteland. Rust has ruined every stadium that they've built. Where they did their whitewater rafting is a glorified sewage drain now. BMX overgrown, unusable, condemned. See, in these Beijing Olympics, they didn't, Beijing didn't build this and say, man, in 11 years, this is going to look terrible. But who cares? It slowly got destroyed. Weeds came up and they didn't care. Rust started to form. Ah, it's all right. It's not like they went and set the place on fire just to destroy it and watch it burn. They just slowly stopped caring about the little things that were going wrong. This is what happened to me. On the outside, I looked like this beautiful, holy Christian man. And on the inside, I was letting sins that no one could see destroy me. In Galatians, it says, in chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What one reaps, he will sow. The life that we are living today, the little sins that we're saying, it's okay right now. I'll get better in the future. I, it's college. I can live like this. People, it's all right. You know, I'm, I'm in college. Who cares? What we reap, we will sow. 
we're fools to think that little weeds here and there left unkept is not going to make us turn into a wasteland. Ananias, man, it was a simple lie that cost him his life. He was being committed to it, not repenting from it. And finally, what I think this passage shows us is that a lot of times we're spiritual phonies. I couldn't think of a better word than phony. And I really like the word phony. It reminds me of that SpongeBob episode where the guy goes around and he's like, you're a phony, phony. It's great. I love SpongeBob. We are spiritual phonies. Look at with me in verse 7. It says this. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Bad marital. This is a whole nother sermon. Her husband was dead. Three hours, didn't know. Come on. Different sermon. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they saw that she was dead. They carried her out, and they buried her next to her husband. Sapphira comes onto the scene, and Peter gives her a shot. He says, look, just be honest with me. Is this what you sold your land for? Did you give us everything? Of course. Yeah. Peter's like, all right. It's cool. Your husband lied too. He's dead. You're going to be too. She drops dead. Whenever I was a junior in high school, I remember I went through this like super horrible time. I wouldn't be able to sleep. I'd wake up at night and I would have this wretched, wretched feeling inside of me. I would question... My salvation, I would question whether I was going to hell, and I would just, I was freaked out all the time. It was miserable. For months, I slept maybe two hours a night. And then finally, it culminated so much, and we got to our D-Now weekend, and I was like, look, I'm tired of this. And I looked at God and I said, I know what you're saying to me. So I walked up, and I told my youth pastor, and I said, man, I really feel like I need to surrender my life to ministry. He was like, man, that's awesome. He said, I've known for months that you were meant to be in ministry. I just wanted you to figure it out on your own. I'm so proud of you. I surrendered my life to ministry my junior year of high school. And for a moment, I took the praise. My parents were excited. But it didn't solve the issue. I went on. I was a leader. I led small groups. I became the college intern for the youth, I was actually like a real deal now, not just some fake guy walking around acting like I was doing something. Led small groups. I did all these sort of things. But the emptiness and the conviction inside me, man, it never left. And every day I would, every time the gospel was presented, I remember the Lord screaming at me, Braden, you do not know who I am. Like Peter looking at Sapphira right here. Hey, just tell me the truth. Have you given everything? Finally, my freshman year of college came, and I remember here at this church, we like to bring in revival speakers 
Here lately, it's been like cool guys. Back in the gap, it was just turn and burn people. And it was a turn and burn person. His name was William Blackburn. He's very scary. And I remember he preached this whole message. It was a great message. And I remember his invitation time came. And I was used to it by this point. I knew it was coming. And I sat down on the pew and I was like, all right, here we go. And he said, man, if you need to give your life to Christ right now, I just encourage you to do so. And the same feeling that I'd felt for years to this point. Got a pit in my stomach, cold sweats in my hands, neck, hairs on the back of my neck, standing up. And I remember the, somebody just whispering in the back of my ear, you do not know who I am. Yes, I do. You do not know who I am. I lead small groups. I'm the youth intern. I've surrendered my life to ministry. Yeah, I do. Braden, you don't know who I am. I've had enough. Stop. Satan, stop trying to tempt me. Stop trying to make me question. I know Jesus. In that moment... Every pit, every sweat, every hair, it all went away. And I sat and I breathed uh, just a sense of relief. And I felt nothing. And then the invitation time ended. And Dr. Blackburn walked up back to the stage. And he looked out and he said, look. There's one man in this audience. He said, this is your last shot. You're never going to feel this way again. You're never going to question it again. God is tired of you rejecting Him. He said, this is it. Are you going to respond or are you not? In that moment, a cinder block fell on my stomach. Sweat poured from every part of my body. Tears filled my eyes, and the Lord, in the faintest whisper, said, Braden, you don't know who I am. He was begging with me like, Peter, look, just tell me the truth. Tell me you haven't given me everything. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to me. Tell me that you don't know me. And I was broken. The hardest step of my life was to step out and to look and to see the shock on the college pastor's face as I looked at him. And the pastor looked and he looked at me in the eye and he said, Sir, is that you? And I said, Yes. And I'll tell you what, I firmly believe that had I said no, I might as well have dropped dead. I knew I wasn't going to feel that conviction again. I would have went throughout my life and I would have done a lot of great Christian things. Matthew talks about it, and I would have prophesied in his name, driven out demons in his name. I would have done a great and mighty work for God. But at the end of it all, the Lord would have looked at me and he said, I don't know you. I really believe Sapphira here could have said, look, I'm sorry, and been redeemed. But she chose no. And I really believe that I, would, I should have dropped dead in that moment had I said no. See, I feel like a lot of times we're just spiritual phonies. 
we come to church, we do the things, we volunteer, we lead small groups because we know it's what's expected of us. It's what we've always done. Our parents raised us this way. We like the fact that we're known as the Christian person, guy or girl. But if we take that hard look on the inside, we know whether we're holding something back or we're not. This last verse, verse 11, it says, Everyone who heard about this, man, a great fear spread throughout the church and everyone who heard. Your decision right now, it'll make an impact. I got home from being counseled after I gave my life to Christ. And I remember my dad looking at me and he said, Oh, did you have to stay late because you had to counsel some people? And I said, well, I gave my life to Christ. And he looked at me and he said, you gave your life to Christ? And I said, yeah. And he's like, well, all right. How'd that happen? I said, I've been living a lie. I've been doing a lot of things that I know are expected from me, but I've known all along that I have no relationship. I told my family about it because I was late for lunch, so they're all looking at me. Two days later, I got to watch my mom walk down the aisle and say, I've lived my life knowing things that I should do, but I've never had a relationship with them. I got baptized with my mom. It's one of the most precious moments of my life. A few years later, because William Blackburn did such a good job, they brought him back, but then he got sick the day before, so Pastor Chris had to preach. And that day, my dad gave his life to Christ. And he said, for two years... I've been dreading whenever y'all brought this man back because I knew what was going to happen. I knew I was going to be confronted. He said, I can't deal with this anymore. I've watched the Lord transform two Christian parents into two, a man and woman striving after God's heart. I watch my mom do a Bible study every morning and find joy in it. I watch my dad, who was never a bad dad, but now he's so loving. His anger has left him. And I asked myself, man, God, what if I, what if I would have said no in that moment? Man, would I have dropped the ball on my family? Would they have not responded? And I thank the Lord that he had mercy on me. You'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God that never stops chasing after us. Whether it's the first time, the 100th time, Lord, I thank you that you do not give up on us. Father, and I am sorry it took me so long to come to you. But I thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I thank you for the salvation of my family. Lord, and the mighty work that I've got to watch you do through them and through me. Father, and I pray that tonight, Lord, if there is anyone here that is like me, 
that upon examination of their relationship with you, they realize that there's not one there. Father, I pray that they stop wasting time. Stop rejecting you. And Father, they just turn to you and you say, Lord, I want to give you all of it now. If I can just have your attention for a moment. Josh and the band is about to lead us in a time just of invitation and response. And look, my college pastor would always say, hey, whenever you truly look at your relationship with God, you either praise Him that you have salvation or you realize that you don't. I think there's a lot of people here who have salvation in the Lord, but they've let sin, they've let wrong motives creep up and start to turn a beautiful temple made for the Lord into a wasteland. Man, I pray that you take this time and you just ask the Lord to show you what sins, what things you need to rip out. Where you need to start improving in that relationship. But I also believe that there are people here that are in the same boat that I am, or I was. That you've lived your entire life knowing the things that you ought to do, knowing the Christian things to say, and what it is to look like to be a follower of Christ, but you've never given it all to Him. You've wanted the praise, you've wanted the glory, but you didn't want to give it all up to get it. I beg you, stop rejecting. There's no reason that you can contrive in your head that would make it not worth just saying, look, I've been lying, I've been a phony up to this point. As Josh and the band play and sing, I just, man, I ask that you just ask the Lord, Lord, show me what you want from me in this moment. Y'all respond as y'all see necessary.